You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. My name's Sheila. If we haven't met, I am super glad that you are with us this morning. We are starting out the year with a sermon series we have called Resolved. And as we begin this morning, I want to remind you, a reminder for some of you, something new for the rest of you, of the vision of our church, the words that we've crafted to express what we feel like we want Every Nation GTA to look like. We worked on this in 2017, 2016 with a group of our leaders. We uh, went through numerous weeks of sitting together and just trying to find the right words to express who we envisioned every nation to be. So here we go. As a church, we envision being a multi-ethnic people of all ages who passionately follow Jesus together on his mission to bring gospel transformation to the people and culture of Toronto and through it to the world. These are nice words, but how do we take words like this and make it reality in the lives of each of us, the individuals who make up ENGTA? We chose for the year this Um, this opening sermon series using the word resolved and resolve simply means this to be firmly determined to do something firmly determined to do something. What are we firmly determined to do in 2024? We are firmly determined to grow in one part of our vision as a church. And that is to be outward focused, to engage and to attract those who are still outside the church, those who have yet to meet Jesus. So one of the things that we introduced before the end of last year was our Pepsi card, P-E-B-C-I. And this sermon series focuses, we're, we're uh, talking about each one of these letters, P, Bert spoke a couple of weeks ago on prayer. Last week, uh, Rich first entertained us as we talked about eat, and then gave us some encouragement and exhortation about how eating together builds community and relationship. Today, I'm going to talk about the word bless. And the title of my sermon is Bless, What's in Your Hand? What's in your hand? We are going to, in a minute, turn to the Bible. First, let's look at this quote from Nelson Mandela. He said this, it is in your hands to create a better world for all who live in it. Now, we're going to turn to the Bible in a minute. Um, I will preface by telling you what happens in the chapter before our reading. In the chapter before our reading in Exodus, God attracts the attention of Moses, who had been living out in out in the wilderness somewhere with his family, Uh, he attracts Moses' attention by speaking to him through a burning bush, a bush that was burning but not getting burnt up. He attracts Moses' attention. He speaks to him. He says, Moses, I have heard, I've heard the cries of the people of Israel. The people of Israel were in um, captivity in Egypt. They were slaves. They were crying out for God to deliver them. And God says to Moses, I heard, I've heard your cries. And uh, 
I have a plan for the deliverance of my people. And guess what, Moses, you're a big part of it. And we also see in chapter three that Moses is really reluctant. He does not see himself to be the man. So now we're going to start Exodus chapter four, and we're going to read verses one through five. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he, God, replied, uh, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, and he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. God said to Moses, uh, Moses, the reluctant leader said, I can't do this. God said to Moses, what is in your hand? And it was a staff, a walking stick, a rod. That's what he had in his hand. That one, um, line, that one verse, that one scripture always has stuck out to me because I don't think it's just a question for Moses. And that's what I'm going to propose today. I don't think it's just a question for Moses. I think that's actually a question God would ask of each one of us when we're reluctant, when we're reluctant to uh, perhaps do some of the things that maybe God would have us to do. Maybe it seems too big and overwhelming and who would listen to me and why and the questions that we have. God God says simply, well, what have you got? What's in your hand? Um, one just a little aside on this. I had been thinking about this passage and on um, Tristan, Pastor Tristan, when he came back from the Every Nation Campus Conference in Orlando just a couple of weeks ago, he was really excited because he said, I just feel like, you know, maybe God's showing me something from this And he ends up talking about this passage from Exodus chapter 4. What are we to do with what God has put in our hands? So, what's in your hand? Exodus 4.2 The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And later on in the same chapter, the Lord said to him, Okay, take what's in your hand, the staff with which you will do the signs. So God says, what's in your hand? It's a staff, a rod, a stick. And later on, God says, just you wait and see the signs I'm going to do with that simple thing that you have in your hand. And a little aside, but how many times, if you read through Exodus, did God use that simple staff as Moses was leading God's people from bondage, slavery, in Egypt, in Egypt to freedom and to deliverance. Uh, how many times did God use that staff? Here's just a couple of them. Two of the plagues that God visited upon the Egyptians. One of them was when the thunder and lightning and hail came, Moses had taken that, um, that staff and he pointed it up to 
to the sky and, you know, the thunder and lightning and the hail came. The other one was the wind and the locusts that infested. Moses again raised the stick and the locust, the winds blew and the locusts came in and ate all their crops. Uh, God, God instructed Moses to use that staff, that rod, when it was time to part the Red Sea, when the people of Israel were fleeing the Egyptians and they hit water. And what were they going to do? God opened the water for them, but it was with the parting. It was with that staff, that rod, that simple thing in Moses' hand that God um, opened the way, parted the waters. Um, water from a rock, later they're in the wilderness and they're thirsty and complaining. And, and uh, Moses is instructed by God to take that, once again, that staff, that thing in his hand, and hit the rock, and water came out for everyone to be able to drink. Uh, another time they were in battle against uh, a nation, the, the Amalekites, and as long as Moses held that stick, that rod, that staff up high, they would be defeating the Amalekites, and when his arms got weary and he lowered the staff, then the Israelites were starting to lose, and it's a great story about how two men helped him, and they held up his arms for him. So what was in his hand? What seemed like just something simple, something that you would use as a shepherd, which Moses was in everyday life, maybe to pull his sheep over, whatever. God said, what's in your hand? Okay, watch how I can use what I've put in your hand. Many centuries later, Jesus did. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't a stick this time, but but the same idea, the same thing flows forward in the book of John. Uh, it says this in John chapter six, lifting up his eyes then and seeing what a large crowd was coming towards him. So Jesus is out. He's teaching. He's doing the stuff that Jesus does. There's a whole lot of people. Uh, and Jesus lifts his eyes and he sees a huge crowd. Okay, so he turns to one of his disciples. Jesus said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? He, Jesus said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One translation says to have a bite. Um, one of the other disciples, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a little boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Well, what are they for so many? Jesus showed them that a simple meal of a little boy, some bread and a couple of fish, Jesus showed them and he showed us that he could make much out of little, that he could take what we bring and what we have and what we offer, and in essence, what's in our hand. And when we bring it to him, he can actually use it to do, to accomplish his purpose, to do in the lives of other people some of what he would want and desire to do. So what's in your hand? What's in your hand? If you're honest... The thing or the things you have probably seem insignificant, probably seem inadequate. What's in your hand? Does it seem like what you have, your abilities and skills, your, uh, your possessions, your talents, um, your knowledge, does it seem like it's enough to make any difference or impact? Do you feel inadequate like Moses or like Andrew questioning how could this little ever touch the lives of people? 
ever meet the needs around you. Um, one of my favorite uh, Australian pastors is a guy named Michael Frost. And one of the things Michael Frost encourages believers to do is to live questionable lives. Now, you know, he's playing on something here because when you say that somebody's doing something questionable, it it uh, it implies that they're doing something they probably shouldn't be doing. And yet, in the context of Michael Frost's teaching, he says we should, as believers, live questionable lives. That with our our acts of goodness and kindness and service to those around us who are yet to know Jesus, people should question why. It should open even just a little bit the hearts of those that we lend service towards, that they would maybe just wonder what it is, what your motivation is, what is different on the inside of you, what what and why would you be showing what we would say is the love and the kindness and the generosity of God towards them? Uh, Michael Frost also talks about the kingdom of God. Now, if you were like me and you grew up in a church, um, we, you know, every every week prayed the Lord's Prayer. And, and part of that prayer for those of you who are familiar, of course, is um, in the, we would pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. God has a kingdom and he has a way the world is, is, uh, is running and, and, and we, 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 and should run and should be and what it should look like. And, and we pray that whatever it's like in heaven, Thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven, whatever that may be look like. Well, I'm pretty sure that there's kindness and generosity and justice and mercy and uh, the wronging, the righting of wrongs in God's kingdom. So Michael Frost talks about announcing and demonstrating God's kingdom. Now, sometimes um, Christians want to talk a whole lot and and there's a there's a really good place for expressing with our words telling people the story of God's impact on our life and preaching what we would call the gospel or the good news of what Jesus has done with our words but Michael Frost encourages us yes to announce to use our words but also to demonstrate through how we live our life the kingdom God's kingdom here on earth making earth look a little more like heaven by how we live our lives. Um, British theologian, author, amazing man, N.T. Wright, says this about the kingdom, the kingdom on earth. He says, it looks like Jesus weeping at the tomb of his friend. It looks like Jesus feasting with sinners. It looks like Jesus celebrating a last meal with his friends and going off to the cross. That's how God runs the world. Jesus at the side of his friends. Jesus weeping with those who wept. Jesus feasting with people that others despised, that the religious uh, leaders at the time despised. Jesus embracing those around him. That's what the kingdom looks like. Well, uh, remember what Mandela said. It's in your hands to create a better world for those who live in it. 
And I think that that's what God would have each of us do. So we've talked about praying, and we've talked about eating together to build relationship. And now I just want to think for a minute about about different ways that, simple ways that we can bless. We can bless those that we work with. We can bless fellow students in our classroom. We can bless our neighbors. Uh, We can show a little bit of the goodness, the kindness, the kingdom of God to those yet to know Jesus. Um, Bert and I at our house. So one of our neighbors, they have two little kids and uh, uh, probably, I don't know how many times a year, five or six times a year, maybe more, maybe less. I don't know. The doorbell rings and there are the kids and uh, they're about seven and five or seven and four. They're kind of petite. So it's a little, and I'm trying to remember when they were born, but I'm having trouble with that. Maybe they're seven and four and the doorbell rings and whatever they in their family have been doing. So they go apple picking and they go strawberry picking and they go blueberry picking. And every time they go, the doorbell will ring and they'll have some, something for Bert and I, uh, sometimes it's, um, our our neighbors are Chinese. So sometimes they'll, for just no reason, bring us a tasty treat, some really good Chinese baking. Or um, this year they brought us these apple-type pear things that we had never eaten before, and they were absolutely delicious. They were massive. I don't know what they're really called. but So when the doorbell rings and I see the two small children out there, and my heart is lifted that somebody else thinks about me, that somebody else is kind towards me, that somebody else is generous towards me, you know that feeling. You know when someone has gone out of their way to do something for you that it makes the world a better place. It makes life a little sweeter. You know, when those kids ring the doorbell, they don't know what we might have been facing behind closed doors. And yet their sweetness brings sweetness into our lives. I have this sweater. Another story. I have a lot of stories in the next couple of minutes that we have together. But just I, I, I just want you to... Not just hear my stories, but imagine things that you can do and say to extend kindness and goodness and to bless people around you. So I have this sweater. I've had it of quite a few years and, um, it's starting to get a little out of shape and, uh, but it doesn't seem to matter where I go. People will say to me, women, sorry, men don't usually say this, but not to strangers. Uh, people will say to me, what a great sweater. Now, I know they're strangers and I, I could say, you know, actually the, the waistband's a little stretched out of shape. And, but you know, in that moment of a stranger just, um, noticing me, just being kind to me, there's something about that, that, that generosity of time and words, even if it's just a small moment in the grocery store. Um, and maybe it's somebody that you know. A couple of weeks ago, I was out shoveling snow. I really actually like to shovel snow. I can't do a whole lot. I get a little sore, but I really like to shovel snow. And I don't know where Bert was. He, uh, but my next door neighbor comes over and she, she knows Bert's, Bert travels and, and, uh, she says, uh, oh, is Bert out of town? Because I'll, I'll come over and help you shovel. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm just, 
I, I, you know, I'm just, I just really enjoy doing some of it. And she said, okay, just wanted to be sure, you know, that act of kindness that my neighbor knows me well enough to know that Bert's not always here. She knows that we're a little older than she is. And she's just showing a little kindness and care towards us. I know what those things do that somebody cares and notices. So what does it look like? What is in your hand? That's our question for today. What is in your hand? Can you shovel the neighbor's snow? Can you buy a gift for somebody? Can you take them some food or some cookies? Um, we're building here. So even remember before jumping to blessing, we talked about praying for people and, and identifying some people that we're going to fill in that Pepsi card this year to pray for. And we talked about who we should maybe um, trust and hope for to be able to like have a coffee with or go out for a meal and just extend that friendship a little bit, right? And I'll tell you something that happens. If you start to pray for people and if you um, get a chance to have a coffee together or go out to eat and then you listen to them and you start to, conversation breaks out around food. And you, you begin to hear what they need or what they desire or areas you go, areas of interest, something that, you know, they might be passionate about. And you think, I know a book. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to order it on Amazon and mail it to that person. Or you understand when you, when you actually engage and listen to people, you hear what their desires, hopes, dreams are. And you learn pretty quickly how you might be able to serve them. That's a good word we like to use in the church, isn't it? We often think about serving within the church, but I think we want to go beyond that in 2024. And how can we serve people that are yet to know Jesus? Um, to bless people, you've got to know people to know people. You've got to listen. You've got to pay attention to them. I stumbled upon, I'm going to, I stumbled upon pro tips, how to become a good listener. I just, I, uh, I, I'm pretty good at listening to people actually, but it's always good to have some reminders how to listen to people and how to be empathetic towards them and how to gather information that would actually help you to serve and bless them. So I found this online. It's called the four H's of listening. And, uh, here, if, you, if, if you're shy, if you think of yourself as shy and you, you're not good at asking, you're not good at opening conversations with people, here's the four H's of listening. History, lead with curiosity. Tell me your story. Where did you grow up? Where did you come from? What's the first language you ever spoke? Is English your first language? Oh, really? In the place that you came from, uh, you speak whatever. What? Tell me your story. Who are you? Uh, what's your favorite? What's your favorite sport? Um, we've had fun this week because we've had somebody from South Africa staying with us. So we've talked cricket and rugby and um, that funny kind of hockey they play there. And then we've tried to explain American rules football. And um, what a great connection because most people have a sport in their nation that they know at least something about. So what's your favorite? What's your favorite sport? What's your favorite? Um, how about what's your favorite sports team? Listen, if you are a Toronto Raptors fan and you see another Toronto Raptors fan and okay, maybe we should do the Leafs this year because they're doing better than the Raptors. Um, 
If you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan and you see another Toronto Maple Leafs fan on the street, you can say, hey, how about those Leafs? You can make a conversation about something you have in common. Um, places to vacation, favorite types of food, restaurants they like to go to. What's your favorite? How about hobbies? What do you do in your free time? Have you ever asked anybody at work or anybody that you go to school with? Okay, maybe in Toronto people don't have a lot of free time, but everybody has some. What do you like to do in your free time? Man, you can learn a lot about people um, with some simple questions. And then, you know, as you go, as you get to know people, um, maybe what hurts? See, we got four H's here, history, heart, hobbies, hurts. Maybe are there particular situations in someone's life right now? Um, that that's troubling and it's weighty to them. And, and if you know a little bit about it, you can maybe later on in a conversation say, Hey, how's it going with your son? How did your mother's surgery go? You understand, you get it, how to make conversation and engage and learn to listen. When we learn to listen, we can learn, we can get clues on how to bless people. I have, um, I have a friend at the, at the gym. And, uh, I've known her for a little while and, and I know a little bit of her story and how her career ended. And it kind of ended with a thud. She's about my age and she's retired. Her career kind of ended with a thud. And, and she actually has told me some of the pain of that, just told me some of her story as I've gotten to know her over the last year and a half or so. And, and I knew she was um doing some stuff to just kind of get some, Oh, some peace in that part of her heart. So I followed up with her. I knew what her story was. I knew how she was trying to, I would say, get some help and wholeness and healing in her life. So after a little while, a couple of months had gone by, I said, hey, how's it going with? Well, first, even that I remembered and that I cared enough to ask, uh, it's building our friendship and our relationship and, and, um, I've eaten with her and with some other, my friends at the, at the, the gym and, um, it's growing. It takes time, doesn't it? To build these relationships. It's not an overnight thing to pray for, to identify who you're praying for, to, um, to, you know, figure out ways that you can have a coffee or eat together and then to listen, pay attention and look for ways to bless. Uh, so what's in your hand? Um, yeah, Bert's got, Bert likes to walk. So one of the things he does in our neighborhood, we have a neighborhood newsletter and Bert said, Hey, you need people to deliver the newsletter? Send me. I love to walk. Oh, and I love to talk to the neighbors on the way. Um, here's a little thing. Are you good at names? You know how much it lifts the heart of somebody if you remember their kid's name. If you can, the neighbors are walking down the street and you can say, Hey, Susie. Okay, you don't have to use the corny voice, but um, have you ever, do you, uh, do you live in a place where you actually have to shovel your snow? You know, um, I told you my neighbors helps shovel my snow, but we also help shovel her snow. Um, just what, what ways can we help serve, take the garbage cans in, um, look and pay attention to what's going on around you. Um, you know, two of my skills, if you've ever heard me talk before, I can crochet and I can bake cookies. And I look for opportunities. New baby down the street just a couple of months ago, Bert comes home and says, hey, so-and-so and so-and-so, they're having a baby. And he asked me if I could bake them a blanket, but 
He knew he didn't have to ask me because as soon as I hear that somebody's having a baby, I'm looking to make, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? Well, we'll find out. Um, I can listen. I can empathize with people. I can invite people to my dinner table. Um, two more little, two more little stories. And then, and then I'll, I'll close here. But, um, I was in Dollarama. I don't know. In the spring. Ah, I don't know. A few months ago, I was at Dollarama. And the clerk at Dollarama looked downcast, dejected. She looked like life itself had beaten her down. And, um, yeah, she was not super well dressed or put, ah, she just looked like life had been so hard for her. And I thought, I, I just, I'd never seen her before. And in all honesty, I've never seen her again at that same Dollarama, but, I thought, what can I, I'm looking, you know, I'm in the lineup. I don't have a lot of time to make a decision. She had a stunning manicure. Her nails were, okay, they were a little fancier than what I would personally do, but it was beautiful. I get up to her, to her and I go, what an amazing manicure. Okay, this woman who looked like she had the weight of the world on her shoulders, who looked like she had probably not smiled all day, looked up at me smiled from ear to ear, was still smiling when I went out the door because nobody pays attention to the Dollarama clerk. And I took a minute and I showed her some attention, some kindness, just gave her a little bit of the love of God. Um, one more. This summer, we were in Costco in Nashville, where Bert and I lived for 14 years, and it was my Costco. I went there for a really, really long time. We were uh, we were in Costco, and you know, you go out of Costco, and they got to check your receipt, right? And the lady at the door, I remembered her. Okay, that Costco opened in like 1999, and she worked there all the years that I shopped at that Costco. And I I just looked up at her, and I smiled, and I said, you have been here such a long time. I said, we moved away more than 10 years ago, and you are still here. And I just expressed joy in seeing her, a familiar face, at what was my Costco. She looked up at me, she smiled, and she said, and today's my last day, and I'm I'm retiring. But she was so excited that I acknowledge the fact that she was somebody who worked at my Costco. I knew her name. It's Yolanda. Um, what can we do to show some kindness and some courtesy? Finally, I saw this this week. Canadian Parent Magazine. Good question for kids. Good question for us to ask ourselves. Start asking your kids. Who did you help today? Instead of asking, how was school? They'll start the stories with, I held the door, helped a friend with math, or asked someone to sit with us at lunch. Their minds will start looking for ways to be helpful. Maybe that's a good question at the end of the day for me and for you. Who did I help today? Who did I bless? What's in my hand? What do I have that I can use with strangers and neighbors alike to just make the world look a little bit more like the kingdom. Paul writes a couple of things. He says this, let each of you look not only 
to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. He says this, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. And finally today is, I hope I've given you some things to think about. And as we're resolving to live life a little bit differently in 2024, maybe I'm stirring up some ideas or thoughts or ways that you can take steps to pray, to eat, and to bless others. St. Augustine said this as we close today, what does love look like? It has the hands to help others. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see misery and want. It has ears to hear the sighs and sores of men. That is what love looks like. Let me pray for you and for me. We have a vision at Every Nation GTA. We don't always say the words, and the words aren't the important part, but Lord, help us to live. Help us to live as a community of people who looks not only for their own needs, who looks for the needs to meet the needs of others, who look, let us be people who are, are attentive, who listen to the heart cries of those around us. Let us look and see what's in our hand. Maybe I don't have everything to um, bring someone all the way to Jesus, but maybe I can do my part. Show us, Lord. Help us to be mindful and creative. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.